Hello, and welcome to another episode of Gaming Couch, where we sit back and talk about video games, board games, card games, and the like. So pull up a chair, put your feet up, let's have a good time. Hello, 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 everyone. Well, it is a beautiful and warm summer day, so if this is your kind of weather, I'm happy for you, because today is your day with how beautiful it is. Now, sorry, I got a little bit of a headache. Whew! Staying up to 2 a.m. playing Dark Souls 2 for multiple days is not healthy for one. I'll, I'll tell you that. So, the other day, now I'm like watching YouTube and stuff like that, and I'm thinking to myself, like, I asked myself a question, you know? Everyone online, in terms of like podcasting and YouTube and that kind of stuff, is always talking mostly about like modern game stuff or things that happened in the past few years, big topics, things like that. Yet, me, you know, I don't do that. There's stuff online about Super Mario Maker 2, CTR Nitro Fueled, this whole thing I heard about, like, the next Gears of War game going against, like, doing, like, anti-smoking or something like that for reasons, I guess. But it's like, there are so many opinions out there of all these various things, yet I rarely don't put my take in there. Like, I rarely don't... I rarely... Sorry. Ah, man. Great start. I rarely put my opinion out there about this kind of stuff, all right? And it has really nothing to do with just, like, the audience or the amount of people that listen to me. It has nothing to do with that. It's just because there's already so many opinions out there, I just don't want to throw mine in there. Like, I watch people like Ant Dude, Sunburn Albino, and the like, and a majority of the time, I agree with them. So I'm like, why should I be rehashing the same thing over and over again? You know, I'd rather take this time every week uh, to talk about other things, you know, things that maybe aren't as well known or something like that. Because when you're the, when you're a voice in the sea of millions and you say the same thing that everyone else is, you just kind of get thrown in with them. And like I said, I agree with a lot of things that are already said about these various topics, about these various games, stuff like that. But unless it's like a really a big deal, like I really love CTR, so I said a few things about it, I don't find the need to do it. Like that's not what we're here for. We're here to explore a large variety of things. And so that kind of leads into today's topic. Like I, you know, I did Cadence of Hyrule a couple weeks ago. And I wanted to do another, like, lengthy review style thing like that. I think, you know, you know like, doing a once-a-month in-depth review is a good way to go, whether it be, like, a new game or an old game. It'd be, it'd be fun. So let me just kind of set the scene right now, set the stage for you of what's what's going on with this thing today. So imagine this. It's getting late. There's a mother and a father, and they have a young girl. And they're getting the little girl ready for bed. You know, she's going through her whole nightly routine, brush the teeth, getting your PJs, all that kind of stuff. Now, the big thing about this is this is a relatively young girl, and she recently just got a big girl bed. You know, the crib was removed, and she has a normal bed now. So there's some excitement over that, like, oh, she's growing up and all that kind of stuff. So her parents wish her good night and then turn off the lights and head off to do, like, their own little thing for an hour or so, you know, just have them some me time now once the girl's asleep and the parents have left and everything's quiet the stuffed animals that she has with her suddenly spring to life and they're talking to each other in surprise like wait where's the crib gone and everything like that and there's a stuffed uh, stuffy with them not so much an animal but just this doll that 
has been in the family for generations, and he's like, oh, I know of this day, the day that the crib goes away, and now she has a big girl bed. This is a big deal for everybody. And as they're talking soon, they discover there's a strange glow under the bed, and these really weird and hostile creatures are popping out, and suddenly these stuffed animals have to jump into action, you know, defend this girl and find out what the heck is going on. It has kind of a Toy Story vibe to it. You know, the toys come to life when no one's looking and have their own personalities and stuff like that. But during the day, when people are around, they just kind of act like toys. Like, they they act inanimate and stuff like that. So, what I just said is the opening to this fantastic game called Stuffed Fables. This game was made by Plaid Hat Games. It was released back in August 2017. So, again... I'm a bit late to the party, but hell, I don't give a shit. Like, this is an amazing game, and I want to spend some time talking about it. So what Platheads did, they made what they call an adventure book game. Each player takes control of a unique character and playthroughs various connected stories in the book. So when you're looking through this book, instead of it being like a standard board game with then like the rules on the side, instead, as you flip through the book, you'll have... One page on the left has a map. It kind of like sets the scene. It shows what's around you, what's in the area, and things like that. And then on the adjacent page on the right, we'll actually have additional rules and narrative pieces to help players not only set up the page for whatever's going on, but also tell the story and reach the ultimate goal of whatever's going on. Now, this isn't the first time Plaid Hats has done this. They have made other adventure book games, something like Mice and Mystics, which I really want to get when I'm done playing Stuff Fables. And they're about to release another one called Aftermath. And they have a few others thrown in there that are all under the same genre of adventure book, where you explore the game in a book. So, I texted a friend when I was playing this about this game, because he hit me up. He's like, yo, what's up, man? It's been a while. I'm like, yeah, I'm playing this game called Stuff Fables. He's like, what the hell is Stuff Fables? So I gave him a quick rundown via text of what it was and, like, kind of showing my excitement about it. And he put it in a very good way. He's like, oh, so it's kind of like a D&D light. Because he's a big gamer like me. He's, he loves board games. And when pitching it to his friends, he wants to be able to explain it well. So keep that in mind. Like, D&D light is a great way to explain this game. So if you ever played D&D... Keep that in mind. I'm going to make a few connections to D&D as we talk about stuff, Fables, because it's honestly the easiest way to explain some of the mechanics that go on in the game. So, playing the game. You're not really playing it. You're experiencing this adventure. So, I'm sure all of you have played your own share of board games in the past. Like, I have a, I have a list. I have, you know, this bookcase next to me. I got... Arkham Horror, Sentinels of the Multiverse, Catan. You can go back to the games like Monopoly, Trouble, you know, those classic family games. All those games are a standalone experience. Now, things like Arkham Horror and Sentinels of the Multiverse obviously have some sort of universe built around it. But each time you play the game, it's individual. It's independent. Like, the players play the game. They follow the rules. They have a fun time. They pack it up. The next time you play it, it's just it's different every single time. There's a separation between each. Stuff Fables is actually a connected experience. So the rulebook obviously explains how to play the game. Of course, you need that. But the actual experience of the game is through this narrative. So in D&D, the DM either does a homebrew 
campaign or uses a module, whatever they're feeling. And this explains the various things that kind of happen in the world that the players can interact with. So like, oh, you get into the town, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, or this happens, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that kind of stuff. And however the players decide to interact, the DM continues the story. So Stuff Fables essentially removes the DM. So each page in the story has a narrative piece that is read out loud. You'll have someone called the bookkeeper that changes with each page, and they will read a couple paragraphs that has the characters in the world talking to each other, explain what they see, explain the events that are going on, stuff like that. And then from there, there's a rules section on the page that tells you like how to set up the page, what's happening here. If you go to this area, what do you see? All that kind of stuff. The various tokens you'll place, where to put your miniatures, and that kind of stuff. Which, I forgot to mention earlier, the game comes with miniatures. And... They're nicely detailed miniatures. If you've ever been a wargamer, obviously they're not on the level of, like, infinity with details. However, if you're kind of like, like I'm just a simple wargamer, I, you know, call me casual if you want. I'm more of a casual of just, I like to play the game, so my minis are very simple. It just fulfills that. It has these, they have nice little details. They have the eyes, the clothing, all that kind of stuff, the various characters and things. And hell, I love them, and... I want to get it, because I'm not good at painting. I want to do a commission, and I want them to get painted. I'm going to use them for Frostgrave. Like, they're pretty much the same base size. They're about 25 millimeter. I love them to death, and I'm going to use them for more than just stuff fables. So right there is kind of a bonus of the game. You get miniatures, not just tokens, to represent who you are. So this universe, this whole narrative you're playing through. As you play the game, it's all about a band of stuffed animals that they nickname stuffies it's adorable all right it's adorable and they come to life at night like i mentioned before to protect this little girl that owns them it's like there's theodore the bear who is the girl's favorite there's lumpy the elephant there's hops the rabbit stitches is that the very kind of old wise man doll and there's there's two others but we'll get to that later now each story in the book has the stuffies fighting off these weird creatures from a world called the fall now, I mentioned that narrative piece earlier, which is the opening of the game. There is a strange purple glow underneath the bed. Well, the, these weird per- portals, these purple portals that have start popping up kind of around the house at night, that the weird creatures from the fall come through, but then vice versa, the stuffies can jump through the portal each night to go to the fall and fight off these monsters and protect their girl and all these other crazy things. Now, the story gets very complicated, quickly. The very beginning of the game, the first story, the, these little things called crawlies, all these like minions of the, the big evil, come out and just start like taking, <coughs> sorry, taking these random items from the girls' room, you know, like a lost sock, a pencil, stuff like that. But they also take this one item as a blanket, and it's a blanket the girl had since she was a baby. So the stuffies are like, we can't let them take that blanket. It's way too important. So they fight off some of the crawlies and then end up getting dragged into the portal, into the fall. And now they're looking simply to just get the blanket back. But while they're going through the fall to get the blanket, in just the first story, all right, they start to meet other people and they start to learn the, oh, like pretty much the story behind the fall, like what happened. It actually has residents like these lost and damaged toys like at one point you find a old doll that 
is missing her eyes, which used to be buttons, but she's still carrying on. You know, she's blind, but she's still doing her thing. So you meet all these unique characters, and you find out there's this kind of the struggle between the knaves of the fall that are now being enslaved by this guy called Crepitus. C-R-E-P-I-T-U-S. I apologize if I pronounced that wrong, but Crepitus kind of start taking over. He's enslaving the dolls for his own mysterious motives, and not so much... Not to spoil the game, but I just haven't played through all the stories yet, so I don't really know what his ultimate motive is behind this. He's just, he's there doing this bad thing in the fall. Now, each story isn't standalone, per se. They're connected in both just the overall story, the mechanics in it, but also these various lessons to teach, which I'll get into later. But it's this lengthy narrative, like, it could be a chapter book or it could be an animated short series. Like I could definitely see this game being transitioned to a typical narrative piece with each story in the game being a chapter in the book or, you know, an OVA hour long episode animated, something like that. Now from there, in terms of playing the game, there are six characters. There are the four characters I mentioned earlier, Stitch, Flops, Lumpy, and Theodore. But there's also these two other characters you eventually unlock, I'll say, for lack of a better term, by recruiting them through the story. So the first two stories, you're limited to just the four, but then eventually you find others that decide to join you. They're trying to rise up and rebel against this great evil overlord, so like, hell, let's just join you. You know, you're fighting back against this guy all of a sudden, let's help you. You know, we're natives to the fall, but we want to fight back. Now, go from there, one story, this is an example of, like, the lessons. One story starts by the parents expressing their fears that the little girl is going to wet the bed because she's currently potty training. All right. So this goes into this whole, like, it's a family game, you know, lessons for the kids. So that's what the story opens up with. However, during the actual playing of the game, when you're playing through the narrative, the stuffies go into the fall and end up discovering that there is a floodgate that they need to close. Because if they don't close the floodgate, there's a village that's going to get washed away all of a sudden. Now, the reason why they found out about this is that night at home, when a portal opened, there was these minions that came through and started turning on all the faucets in the bathroom. And they were like, well, we can't let one in water, you know, just be here because the girl might hear it and wet the bed, so we got to go stop the water. You know, so these minions turn on the water to get more water into the fall to use to power this dam, to power these machines... This is what I'm saying about it. it gets complicated. Like, in terms of a story, there's a lot to unpack in what's happening. So you go through this adventure. First, you have to shut off all the faucets in the bathroom. You jump through the portal and find out, oh, they're using it to power this dam, which is starting to power these various machines. So you go to a village, and you find out the village is actually essentially ground zero. Like, if they don't stop anything, there will be a flood that will destroy the village. We need to stop this. That's your goal at this point. Instead of just keeping the girl protected, it's like, no, we got to save these people. So there's a good and a bad ending, essentially, to every story. So using this whole bedwetting floodgates story, the quote-unquote good ending is you close the gates in time, which prevents the village from getting flooded. And then when you read the ending in the back of the book... The girl's really excited. She wakes up the next day. She didn't wet the bed. You know, she doesn't need her diapers. That All that kind of stuff. And it, it, it feels good. So some of the actions that you take in the fall while you're playing the game kind of impact 
the girl's life in the real world. Now, as far as I can tell, besides the characters, I've only played the first three stories. But besides the characters, each story doesn't impact the next. So, like, let's say she wet the bed at the end of story two and you continue to story three. There's no negative impact on story three. It's just like, you know, we could play the story again to try and get the better ending, essentially. So there's some replayability there, if you so choose, which I like. Now, I just told you a story about a girl trying not to wet the bed, all right? And yet, I'm talking about this game that I love it. Because honestly, I can safely say I'm, I'm an adult man. I'm a high school teacher, all right? This game is amazing, even with the tone of the stories. Talking about bullies, talking about wetting the bed, things like that. It's amazing. It's definitely a family game, and I've heard of people playing this game with their children, which is a great way to address some of these real-life concerns about growing up, you know, about dealing with bullies at school, about your first day of school, that kind of stuff. So I played this game first with my niece. However, I have full intentions of bringing this to a group of my friends to play it. Like, it's a game for everyone. Heck, I told you my friend was asking about the game. He's like, he's older than me. And he's like, I fucking love this. <laughs> I'm telling him the story about it. This girl's playing it was stolen, trying to get it back. He's like, dude, this is amazing. So there's so much in this game. And, you know, I, we're going to break it down. We're going to kind of go in, into those details right now about why I love this game so much and why I highly, highly recommend it. So the setting for the game. I've been talking about this storybook. Now, ideally, you would play these stories in order. There are seven stories in total. Each one, depending on who you're playing with, like if you're playing with a bunch of adults who understand various concepts it can be played quickly so you go between an hour hour and a half maybe two hours depending on if you like you're playing with younger kids and how they're feeling about it if they want to take breaks and stuff like that because it can be a while like i play with my niece she's 12 and she plays games every now and then but nothing to this scale where like you're sitting down for an hour plus to complete one thing so we took a little extra time because we took some breaks and stuff like that so ideally you play through these stories in order obviously you know, you can play a story, then the next week play the next story. You can take breaks in between. So you're setting up the page. As I said before, the page will have a narrative piece that's open, and then it'll have a setup part, telling you where to put everything, kind of giving you an idea of what's going on. Now, once it's set up, players are free to interact. They each have their own character that they can move around. If there's enemies that are spawned in the beginning, obviously you can fight the enemies. But there's a few other things. There's things like points of interest, the lost, which are these various toys and citizens of the fall. They're essentially NPCs, like in D&D, people you can go talk to. So there's a number of things you can do on the page. And some of the pages, a lot of them, doesn't start with enemies on the board. It's actually you going around and trying to pick up clues or find out what to do next and things like that. So you have to interact with these people. So points of interest are the first real big thing. They're kind of clues. You know, they're not really talking with NPCs, but it's like, you see this, you hear this, this is saying this, you stumble across this, and it can advance the story. Not all of them do. Like, at one point, uh, we walked up to a point of interest and stumbled across a piano, and one of the characters started just playing the piano, which was some nice music in this gloomy time, so we got a buff. You know, we got, we got a little something out of it. Some of them can be harmful, though. Like, there was this one point we came across, it was actually a trap. It was these crushers, and we got hurt by passing through it. So you need to be careful. You need to always be on your toes because this thing could be bad. On the flip side, you might run into the loss. Each page, if it has a loss, there'll be a token on the board. It tells you where to put it. 
And when you go there, you remove the token and you draw a lost card, which represents, again, some sort of citizen, some sort of NPC. You talk to them, it could be very helpful, but it could also be a waste of time depending on what it is they do. So the rest of it, the rest of the page, like that's just kind of setting up what you can work with. The rest of the page of the narrative it kind of goes through sections. So each page is paced through like section 23-1, 23-2, 23-3, etc. Until like, you know, 7, 8, 9, however many sections there are. This represents the page you're on, page 23, but also what part of the narrative you're at. So you're at section 23-1. All right, you're on that section. You read what it says to do. Maybe it gives you a clue of what to do or tells you to move on to the next section or something like that. You only read a section when you're instructed to by the story. So sometimes you'll start a page. It tells you how to set the page up, and that's it. It doesn't say go to section 21-1. It'll just tell you how to set the page. It's now up to you. You know, they'll give you – there'll be a little compass symbol sometimes that is on the sidebar that tells you, like, oh, you have to explore points of interest or, oh, you're looking for the secret password to give you hints about what to do. But you need to explore the map by talking to people and by looking at these points of interest – to then tell you to go to section 21.1 or 21.3 or 21.4, whatever it is. Because you won't always hit every section. You don't have to go from section 21.1 to 2 to 3 to 4 to 5. You might only read three of the, I don't know, seven sections, depending on how you tackle the story. So, most of the time, not all the time, most of the time you'll have a run-in with monsters on top of trying to explore the page to find your objective. So this can mean one of two things. Either you dedicate all your time with all four or three characters that you have fighting those monsters, or you split the group up. Like, let's say there's this group task you have to complete of opening up this door. All right, you go handle the door. Us three will go take care of these enemies. It all depends on how the narrative is being built. Do you already have the clues that will tell you how to proceed? You know what? We already have the clue. Let's just take care of these enemies. All right, let's just take care of them so we don't have to worry about them later. Or, no, we don't have a lot of time left. You go find the MacGuffin. We're over here. You need to kind of find that balance, which, again, if you're playing with a bunch of adults, it's real easy. You just kind of talk to each other and figure it out. If you're playing with little kids, it kind of gives them a chance to learn how to communicate with one another. Like, let's say you play with a bunch of, I don't know, 8 to 10-year-olds. They're still young. They're still learning how to interact with one another and cooperate and things like that. So this game gives them a chance to do that. Like, they might just want to fight the monsters, you know. But the monsters are tough. And I'll get to that later. The monsters are powerful. So it gives them a chance to learn how to work through a problem, how to work as a team and all that kind of stuff. Because the story will only move forward when the players choose. There will be times where it's like, once you have all the clues, you may proceed to the next page. You can only proceed to the next page when you get the MacGuffin. You can only proceed to the next page if all the minions are killed. So there's a slight choose your own adventure style. Like I said, you won't hit all the sections all the time. If you find clues on a previous page, like you might find a clue on page 19. And then when you're on page 23, it's like, oh, since you got that item, you have that clue from before, just skip these next three sections. Hell, there was one story we circumvented, me and my niece, we skipped about five sections on the page because we had this wind-up mouse we found earlier. You know, she's like, I really want to find out what's in that chest. You know, I got to jump over there, but I want what's in that side of that chest. Turns out we got a wind-up mouse that just unlocked this door for us instead of us having to, like, take the time to 
bash open the door while fighting off these enemies. And Mouse is like, nah, I got this. Go ahead. And that was it. That, that was that. It was great. Because this, it's all about you. Like, did you find the gear? Did you find the mouse? Did you secure the blanket? Or did the enemy escape with it? It's all about just what you're doing on each page. And sometimes you'll have to, like, backtrack. You know, you might find a clue and it says, oh, I'm only going to talk to you if you get me a juice box. Oh, give me a second. Be right back. I got to run over there, order a juice, come back. Or you might have to go to a different page altogether. You might have to backtrack to a previous page that you skipped earlier because you lost something that you need for your ultimate goal or something like that. So there is the just kind of like the setup of how the narrative works. You know, a mix of choose your own adventure with those RPG elements and just learning kind of how to work together and all that kind of stuff. And again, each story is its own unique story of all these different life lessons that this, you know, this girl's going through. So the mechanics themselves, like, okay, we talk about the game itself. We got an idea of what's going on, but it's still a game. So how do we play the game? Each person, if you're playing with four or three people, they get their own unique character. If you're playing two players, each person gets two. All right, because you got to have the numbers. You, You need the numbers to make this work. So each character represents a different toy. Like I mentioned before, there's the bear Theodora, the elephant Lumpy, Stitches, Flops. Each one represents some unique characteristics. Now, there's no stats. All right, for each character, they're all the same. They each start with five stuffing, which is the health in this game, and you get a weapon. All right. Now, paying close attention to your health is very important, as it can be very easy to lose, and that's the one thing that's keeping you up and keeping you going. Enemies deal a lot of damage. Some NPCs might actually ask for stuffing to repair themselves or help them out, things like that. So managing what you're doing with your stuffing is important because the rest of your, there's no other stats. Something else matters in, like, number-wise. The one that, thing that does make each character different are their abilities. Each stuffy has four unique abilities. They have a kind of starting ability they can use an unlimited number of times whenever they want, and with the exception of Theodore the Bear, it usually deals with re-rolling a certain colored die. Like, the elephant is really good with defense and kind of like being that tank character that you have in classic D&D. So he's able to re-roll blue dice, which you usually end up for just using for defense. The bunny is really good at agility, so she re-rolls green dice. Things like that. Now, the three other abilities, they are heart abilities. They're a bit more powerful. Like, the one character has a counterattack. That is, if he blocks all the damage dealt to him and exceeds it, like he rolls a 5 on the die when he's taking 4 damage, he exceeds the amount. Oh, I spend a heart and I kill the minion. Just like that. So now, with these powerful abilities, you need to spend a heart to use them. And hearts are a limited resource that you might find. I went through one of the stores, and we found maybe a heart or two you know, for each character at most. And that's because we kind of spread out the tasks. Sometimes you find them easily. Sometimes you won't. So trying to manage that is very important. You know, you might get one from helping a lost NPC or, you know, I mentioned the piano before. Because I played the piano, I got a heart. They make a big difference. Like, it's it's risky sometimes, but it makes a big difference. Like, getting that heart means a lot. Being able to shrug off, like Lumpy can just say, I'm about to die. Nah, I'm only going to take two damage. I'm going to live. I'm going to be fine. Which, in the end, actually 
made us win. Him being able to do that made us win this one combat. Now, on top of managing your hearts and making sure you have enough health so you don't die, you get a bunch of different equipment throughout the world. And each piece of equipment is a household item or like a child item. Scissors, yo-yos, a juice box, skateboard, buckets, those kind of things. You know, there's various little things you find around a house that has a young child. And each of those are assigned to an equipment slot. You know, head, body, paws, an accessory item, your standard RPG kind of stuff. Now, the items you find equipped to a stuffy can make them better at combat, better with interacting with NPCs, or utility stuff in terms of, like, drawing more dice or looking at more cards and that kind of stuff. So on top of a character's unique ability, the stuff you give them can make things even better. Hell, the one time with Lumpy, we found a lot of items that improved defense dice, so when I rolled a blue die, I would add more to the die results. He ended up he couldn't be hurt. He had so many bonuses. As long as he had a blue die already, he could just stand there and be like, you can't hurt me. So it's super important that you find items because a lack of gear can easily lead to a game over because of the enemies you encounter or because of the objectives you have to complete that you have to roll a lot of dice to try and pull it off. So if you have the time, look around for things. So the map, what are you looking at? I mentioned before, points of interest, NPCs, stuff like that. So let's get a little more in-depth of what that means. Let's say you bump into one of the lost, you know, an NPC card. So there's a card you will draw, but you don't read it. Let's say you run into the token. The person to your left draws the card and reads. There's a situation to make. Like there was one of you come across a, you know, a female doll and a sheep, and they are both missing their eyes. You know, they had buttons for eyes, but they're missing. And they're startled, like, wait, who are you? What are you doing? You know, they're on guard. So you have a choice to make. Do you give buttons to them or no? Now, of course, depending on your decision, something happens. But the player who has to make the decision doesn't know. You only read the results after the decision is made. Whether, yes, I give the buttons, I'll give a button, or no, I'm not giving them anything. After you make the decision... Then you find out the results. So there is some risk-reward. Like, if I have spare resources, I easily could give it over to them. Do I want to? Like, maybe there's actually something sketchy. Like, at one point I found there was a crawly. You know, one of those enemies was stuck underneath something. And I'm like, you know what? I'm already fighting some enemies. And I don't want to risk this, so I'm not going to help this thing. I said, no way. No way, Jose. I'm backing up. I'm not going to do it. Turns out, actually, I should have helped it because it would have actually been very helpful in the end. So... Another situation, you know, sometimes you just get a thank you. Sometimes nothing happens. Sometimes you get some bonuses. So here's one of those, another situation that I ran into. One that really stuck with me. We came across a cardboard box that had something inside it. And I talked to my niece. I'm like, I don't know. What do you think? Like, I'm looking at my stats. Like, I'm a little low on health. I really don't have any items or anything to give. They need something from me. So she's like, you know, let's not open the box. I'm like, yeah, no, screw it. Don't open the box. Turns out inside there was a snake that would have bit me and would have hurt. So I'm glad I didn't do that. Fast forward down the road, I draw a card that's exactly the same thing. You come across a cardboard box, there's something making noise inside it. I'm like, no. Last time I came across a cardboard box, there was a snake inside it. I'm not doing it. I just said no. Turns out inside the box, there was a kitty cat. And I would have rescued the cat, and I would have gotten a heart, which would have been great. So I lost out on getting a heart. Now, because of that decision, like that might just seem minor. Like, okay, you didn't rescue the cat. But wait, I didn't get that heart now. What if I really need that heart down the road? What if there's this combat we get involved in? I'm like, I need 
one heart to, you know, protect Lumpy or one heart to let Theodore redraw all her dice. I don't have it now. So again, that risk-reward is really big in terms of just interacting with NPCs. And then the points of interest, I kind of talked about that a little bit before. Sometimes it'll make the narrative move forward. So whoever lands on the point of interest has to read this text block that talks about what's going on or it's a clue or something. Sometimes it can trigger enemies, just appear or like the trap that hurt us, all that kind of stuff. But you need to investigate them. Like you, you have to at times because sometimes the objective is included. It's like, yes, we're trying to get to town. How do we do it? You need to investigate. Now, obviously, the way the game is set up with all the various sections and the clues are all set up on one page, the page next to the map. So you could theoretically read excuse me, read everything right away, all the different sections and all that kind of stuff. But where's the fun in that? You know, I, I think the real fun comes from resisting that urge and just playing out the story. And considering you're talking with friends and family and a lot of times like there's combat going on, you're so caught up with what's going on. that's like, you know what, you, you don't have to worry about resisting because you're worried about what's in front of you right now. So I wouldn't worry too much about accidentally reading things, but just, just don't. Just, just, just don't. Just wait until the book tells you what to do. So there's all our interactions. There's the characters, all that kind of stuff. But we're still kind of asking ourselves, how exactly do we play the game? Like, I mentioned dice before. So what the hell do you mean, dice? Well, this is what I mean. Thank you for asking. To play the game, besides just walking around and interacting and making choices, you have a set of colored dice. The game comes with a dice bag and a set of 35 dice. There are seven different colors and five of each color. The color is very important. You need to keep an, you need to keep an eye on what you're drawing. So when playing the game, each player takes a turn in order, even outside of combat. Like it matters because sometimes you might trigger a skill and only the active player who triggered it can roll it or maybe enemies appear and they're going to go next turn. So it matters whose turn it is even outside of combat. At the start of your turn, you'll draw five random dice in the bag. It's potluck, good luck, see what you get. Now, let's say you have a melee weapon you want to attack with. Well, hopefully you drew a red die, because red dice are used for melee weapons. Or let's say you want to take a look around at some items or some objects around the world. Well, hopefully you got some yellow dice, because yellow dice is all about perception. Or if you're really, really lucky, you drew a purple die, because purple dice can be used for anything, all right? The main difference is there are certain items I'll say, like, plus one to blue die results. Now, let's say you used a purple die instead of a blue die for the challenge, the purple won't benefit from that plus one bonus because it's not a blue die. It's substituting out a blue die. So it's always good to get a purple die because you can use it for anything. But getting the specific colors is best because that's where you get the most bonus from. It'll be a plus one to every blue die rolled. So if you only roll in purple, you don't get the bonus. So I got a shot, but you don't get the bonus. Now, what's awesome is actions are limited only by the number and the color of the dice drawn. So if you end up drawing, let's say, for example, three red dice, one blue, and one yellow die. Okay, there's a number of things you can do. You have your five dice, which essentially means you have five actions. So any die can be used to move. You roll the die, that tells you how far you move. Cool. Now, let's talk about that whole melee attack. Let's say you have a weapon, a melee weapon, there's some enemies on the board. You want to smack them around a bit. All right, so you're next to them already. You don't have to move. So let's make a melee attack. 
how do you want to attack? Again, the game is not limited in actions, it's just limited by dice. You have three red dice, so you could, let's say you're fighting a powerful enemy that has a high defense. Maybe you roll all three red dice at once and total up the amount rolled. Since he has a high defense, it'd be good to roll all the dice together. It's only one attack, but the chances of me hitting him are pretty good because I'm rolling all the dice together. But let's say there's two enemies around you, and they have a lower defense. They only have a defense of four, and you have a weapon that gives you a plus two to your red dice rolls. So I only need to roll a two on the die to kill the enemy, and I'm surrounded by them. Well, let me break it up. Let me just make three separate attempts. Let me roll all three red dice separately. So instead of totaling them up for a total of, let's say, 15, I instead roll them separately, and I'll get a result of a four, a five, and an eight, because I have that plus two thrown in there. Boom, I just made three successful attacks. I could kill all three of these enemies, or, well, just the two that are around me, which is great. In the end, I wasted the one red die. I didn't need it, but you know what? Now I can use that red die to move. So you can break up your attacks because of it. Now, let's say you spent all those red dice. You killed all those enemies. You have your blue and your yellow left over. Well, most pages have a search icon that says, if you beat this number, you could find an item. And you know what? It says search four, so I'm going to roll this yellow die to make a search, because I can only use yellow or purple for that. I got a five. Cool, I get a new item, which, again, is very important. So it's a good thing I found that item. And now I'm left with this blue die. I don't want to use this blue die for anything. There's no reason for me to use it. I don't need to move. There's no task on hand. So what am I going to do? Waste it? No. Nah, why don't you store it? Each character at the beginning, unless you get like certain SAS effects or certain items, you can store one die on their card. And what that means is that die stays with you. You can use it either to defend yourself from an attack or use it on a later turn. Like, let's say you need a blue die for a blue skill test later, but you didn't draw a blue die. Oh, hey, look at that. I had this blue die stored. Fantastic. So there you go. You made up your mind. You rolled your dice, and you stored the blue die. Now, those four die you rolled are now discarded. They're put to the side. They're not put back in the bag. Now, because there are seven dice, seven colored dice, there's five dice each, you do the math... You just had three red die. That means what's left in the bag is only two other red dice. And let's say all your friends also have melee weapons. Well, they either need to get the purple dice or luck out and get those last two red die to get the bonuses. The dice won't go back in the bag until all the dice have been removed or a few other triggers. There's a couple other things that make the dice get put back in the bag. But now you have this resource management. All right? There's some strategy there. Yeah, I could store this blue die for later but let's say my friend really needs that blue die since i just took it to save it that's one less blue die for them to draw on their turn to try and succeed at the task and there is a timer of sorts you know not like a, a standard hourglass you turn upside down watch the sand fall in terms of dice some events can happen and some enemies could appear depending on what kind of dice get drawn over time and that's where the black dice come into play for enemies and for, like, a timer for certain things. So let's say when you're drawing those dice, instead of drawing three red, a blue, and a yellow, you drew a blue, yellow, two red, and a black. Well, you are unlucky, my friend. That black die is immediately placed on this tracker that has five slots because there's five black die total. That black die you don't roll. You lose it, essentially, and instead it goes to a threat tracker and two different things can happen depending on enemies 
All right. Let's say there's enemies present on the board. You have three enemies on the board. Okay. Once that threat tracker has three or more black die on them. So if you're that unlucky guy that drew three black die on your turn, which can happen at the end of your turn, after you deal with your only two dice that you drew, the enemies go because there's at least three black die. There's three enemies. From there, you take the black die, you roll it to determine what the enemy does. Each enemy has a card linked to the miniature that says what their different attacks are. So you can roll, it'll say on a 1 to 2 it does this, on a 3 to 6 it does this. And the ability will say how far it moves, the range, if it has any range on the attack, the amount of damage it does, and if there's any additional effects, like if it adds a status effect, or like some bosses will say it steals an item, or only blue dice can be used to defend, that kind of stuff. Now, there is no die rolling for the monsters outside of what they do. So if an attack does 5 damage, it does 5 damage. That's it. And remember how earlier I mentioned that you only start with 5 health? You can get health back. All right, I'm not saying you only have 5 health for the entire story. You can get health back, and it's important that you do. You also can give health to each other. You can give stuffing. You just pull your stuffing out and give someone else. So if that enemy does 5 damage... It's really important you don't take that five damage because odds are you only have five health or less. So if you stored a die on your card, you could roll that die to reduce the damage taken. You can reduce it by a bit, or if you reduce it by all the damage, let's say you roll a five, so you take zero damage, you save the die and put it back in your card to use for future blocking and future actions. So again, that dice management and managing your health even though you can use it as, like, payment, is super important because most enemies can deal five damage with one attack. It can get scary, especially when you get jumped and you weren't expecting the fight and they all just show up and you're like, crap, we have no dice stored and these guys are going this turn. That management. Oh, my God, that management. Now, the other management with that is, like I said, the enemies go if the number of black dice equal or exceed them. Now, let's say you're fighting a solo enemy, like a boss. You draw one black die, that boss is going. And it's a boss. It's a beefy, beefy mofo. He big. You want to be ready for their attack. There's one boss that has an AoE. Everyone within three squares of me, bam, I hit him for three damage. Again, three damage isn't terrible, especially at that point we had enough stuffing that we got lucky and found some stuffing lying around. But still, hitting everyone within three for three damage, it's a pretty big deal considering it's going to happen almost every turn because if it's only one black die, it's all he needs to go. Now, let's say there are no enemies present, but you draw black dice anyway. So what happens? Well, you keep them. You still keep them. You still put them on the threat track. It's whatever. But instead of looking at the enemies present, you look at the number of players. Well, it's three or four players. Well, mostly stuffies, because if you have two players, they each count as two, so it's still a total of four. So when it equals the amount of stuffies in play, or greater than that, you have instead what they call a surge. And each page tells you what happens whenever a surge triggers. Usually it's like the first surge, and then every additional surge after that. And these are bad. Like, you don't want a surge to happen. They trigger a trap, uh, ambush of enemies uh, appears on the board, which... Luckily, the one time we dodged the enemies because we got the hell out of dodge quick enough that the surge didn't happen. Also, it could reveal a sleep card, okay? This is happening at night while the little girl is sleeping. So how do you represent the passing of time besides the black dice triggering enemies and stuff like that? Well, these sleep cards. 
represents the girl throughout the night. And there are a number of things that could happen. You might draw a card that says sleeping. If you do, you lucked out. I mean, you're one step closer to her waking up, but nothing bad happens if she's sleeping. If you draw a restless card, something bad might happen. Again, there's a basic rule book that tells you how to play the game, but each page in the storybook represents a different part of the narrative. So if you really restless card, and on the sidebar, the storybook mentions something happens when she's restless, something will happen. Not always, though. So you have to be ready to be flexible. You know, stories change. That happens. There's, like, one event that she gets a little bit restless, so she starts kind of, like, reaching out in her sleep for her stuffed animals, but they're not there. They're off on this adventure. So all the stuffies kind of can sense that, and they all get the worried status, which means you can't store dice on your card, which is really, really bad if you're fighting enemies. So now you're screwed. You want to get rid of the, you want to try and get rid of the worried card, and I trying to go quicker so she doesn't get the girls and restless again, so she doesn't make everyone worried again. Let's move. Let's move. Let's move. You now that kind of stuff. And if you end up revealing the waking card, which is always at the bottom, the game tell, it's within the bottom three cards every time. All right, the game deck sacks like that. When you reveal the waking card, nothing bad happens immediately, but the ending is different. And it's essentially that's what the bad ending is. Like if you take too long and the girl wakes up or something like that, you get the bad ending. I haven't had that happen yet, luckily. However, I can totally see it happening at some point. You know, like the, I'm pretty sure I won't be able to get the good ending every single time. So that's like, that's the crash course. Honestly, that is the crash course of playing Stuffed Fables. There's obviously a lot that goes into it in terms of playing the game. Like, you get the rule book to learn the basic mechanics about how to read a page, you know, how to read the map and everything like that, how the dice work, how enemies go and things like that. From there, though, it's all about what the pages tell you. That adaptability is key. Reading that sidebar when you have the chance is key to find out how the rules are changing because the rules will change per page and not in a bad way. And in fact, a really good way. It's it's all about that narrative. Like I said, it's an adventure. And that's partially why I love it because D&D, it's all about that adventure. What players you like? I, I spent a couple episodes talking about just my D&D group and I know I kind of fallen off from that because we started to play less and less. Like we still meet, but it wasn't as common. This kind of scratches that itch because what we do, how long we take impacts everything. Now, I've only played through the first three stories of the game so far, so I still have the other four to do, which I'll get to in time. I did story three by myself, I'll be honest, because I live alone, like my niece was just visiting. It was still like, it was a fun experiencing the story, but this is that kind of game, it's a cooperative game. This is the kind of game that you need to play with people, like friends and family. It helps out. So, just kind of like give you an idea of how the stories can change and how the rules change. I just want to give you a quick like rundown of the first story, which I play as my niece. So I guess slight spoilers, you know, coming ahead. Uh, if you want to skip, I'll I'll put a timestamp, you know, in the description of when I'm done talking about the first story. Okay, so here's your warning about the spoilers in three, two, you know the drill. All right. So the story opens up with the girl's blanket being stolen. So at the start of the episode, I get that narrative like these things coming out from underneath the bed. That's the first story. These things come out from underneath the bed, and they end up stealing the girl's blanket. 
And of course, the selfies are like, we can't let that happen. So they go in after them. It's the first experience in the fall. They're learning what this place is and all that kind of stuff. The goal is simply find the blanket and get home. That's it. That's your goal. Get that blanket. Get the hell out of Dodge. Okay. Now, my niece and I are playing the game, and we end up in the fall. We land in the fall, and we're on this, like, huge heap of garbage and discarded toys and things like that. And we spot the blanket getting loaded onto a train. This is all in the narrative piece of, like, when you flip the page, this is all the narrative piece telling us this. So, obviously, our goal was to get to that train. Get to the train to get to the blanket. Now, normally, game mechanic-wise, you can roll any die you want to move that number. You can roll purple die, green die, blue die, red die, doesn't matter. You roll that die, that's how far you move. However, during the setup part of this page, it told us, because we were on this pile of old toys and garbage like that, there was a special rule. If we didn't roll at least one green die while moving across the heap, we would take damage. Now, that's a serious problem. Again, we could get health back through rolling certain dice, but it's not guaranteed because there's only five white die in the bag, and those white die is how you get health back. So now we're like, okay, we got to be careful moving across so we don't get hurt too much trying to get to the train. Oh, by the way, if you draw too many black die and you get a certain surge, guess what? The train leaves. It's, it's heading out. You know, it's on a schedule. So now we're being timed. We need to get to that train in time so we can get the blanket, but we don't want to destroy ourselves getting over there by tripping over all this junk. So we decided when we drew die, if we drew at least one green die, we rolled all the dice together. Because again, you can choose to roll the dice separately to do separate movements. Like let's say you want to go investigate various points. You roll one die at a time to go to that point, then go down here, go over there, yada, yada. But we need to get that train on time. And we need to roll at least one green die while moving. You know what? If we roll three die and at least one of them is green, we follow the the special rules that we're rolling a green die. And we total up all that movement so we can book it to the train and get there in time. So we ran over there. We got to the train and we got onto the train in time. Everyone got onto the train in time. It wasn't that hard, luckily. So the rules were very simple for movement, but the page painted a different narrative that felt natural on the map you saw this pile of garbage and all these broken toys and stuff like that so the narrative painted that saying hey you're climbing over this trash it's hard to move through like have you ever tried to climb on top of like a heap of garbage or like a pile of gravel or sand it's difficult it's really hard to do so the narrative painted that and the rules of the game changed in terms of the mechanics, to represent that. And I gotta say, it was really fun. Because the rules were naturally changed. They weren't just changed for the sake of it. They were changed to fit what the story had made for us. It was fun, and it added some tension. We're like, okay, so we're not just moving. Like we, The last page, we're just in the bedroom fighting some crawlies. So it didn't really matter how we moved, but now we have to really think about how we're moving. We felt like we were going through this adventure. So we all got on the train. Whew, close call. The train pulls out. So we skipped a certain page. It told us to actually skip this next page, which was, if you miss the train, do this. We skipped that and went to the page that was actually us on the back of the train. Now, the setup again was very simple. The blanket that we wanted was being held by a dark heart, which is a type of enemy. Honestly, in terms of like all the basic enemies, it's probably the hardest. It has the highest defense. 
it has range attacks, it does a lot of damage, they're a pain in the ass to fight. So that had the blanket two cars down from us. So the page showed three train cars. The one we were on, the middle car, and the one with the dark heart. And of course, in the middle car were a couple of enemies that were guarding the dark heart. So I was like, okay, go. All you have to do is beat the dark heart. We don't have to kill all the enemies. Just get to the dark heart, kill them, get the blanket. Okay. Simple. Based on the game mechanics, very simple. But again, the rules changed. All right? There were a couple things that changed. One, because we were on top of these train cars full of junk, we weren't on the roof, we had to, one, jump from one car to another, which meant requiring to roll, again, a green die so we can make the jump. And then with that, since we're on top without this roof, let's say we got two black dies. Now, the rule stated every time you drew a black die, you just put it on the track. That was the standard rules. But the page, the way the page changed the rules, it said... When you draw a black die, you must roll it. Let's say you roll a five. Okay, you place it on the threat track at the top on the five. And now that second die you drew, roll that black die. Oh, it turns out you also rolled a five. So you now have two black dice that both say five. Well, guess what? The train is passing through a tunnel. And because it's not a it's just a cargo train, the tunnel has a low ceiling. So you all have to drop down onto your stomachs to ensure you fit through the tunnel. But because you jump down onto all this garbage and all this junk, it deals damage. So you get hurt. Down the road, let's say you draw a third die, a third black die. You rolled a four this time, so it's five, five, four. Nothing happens. Okay, cool. You drew a fourth die. You rolled that one. Oh, I see it landed on a five. You don't have three die that say five on them. Well, guess what? That dark heart pulls the coupler off and removes the cars you're on from the rest of the train meaning it escapes with your blanket. That's it. We now have to do something different. Our journey is going to take longer for us to go get to that blanket because the dark heart escaped because we ran out of time. Luckily, we lucked out big time with this because we were something like, crap, there are these three enemies that you can't move through enemy spaces, so we have to take out these enemies that are guarding the dark heart and then jump across the train cars to the dark heart to then defeat the dark heart who has a high defense. Like, there is a lot to take into play here, me and my niece. Now, I went first, and I had a ranged weapon. So I'm like, okay, screw it. I want to put all the effort in to kill this one enemy. She's like, she came up with the idea. Clear path to the, the dark heart, and she was going to run up with one of her characters who went next and just wail on the guy. So I put all my dice into fight into a ranged attack. Luckily, I killed one of the guards. So then it was her turn, and she rolls to move, ends up sprinting all the way up to the dark heart to be in the space next to him. And then rolls an attack and ends up walloping the guy real hard and taking him out on, like, turn two or three on this page. Bam. Dark Heart's dead. We grab the blanket. Objective complete. Move to the next page. Just like that. We got lucky on the dice rolls. We had a pretty good strategy going to the plate to just rush the Dark Heart. We completed the objective. He didn't escape. So, next page. The train passes by a town. We're like, we depart at the town. Turns out the town has some residents, you know, various lost people that live here. And so there's nothing happening. Like, we jump off the train, the enemies aren't following us, the coast is clear. So now we just need to find out how to get home. So we explored town a bit, talked to some of the people that live there, some of the natives. We bought some equipment because we had the time. We're like, let's buy some equipment. We have a lot of buttons. Let's buy something. 
So eventually we came across a clue that spoke of a puppet who lived in the woods nearby that knew of a spell that, you know, she could teach us to get us home. So like, okay, cool. Now we know how to get home. Now in terms of game mechanics, the story told us if you have the blanket, you know, read this section that talks about, you know, the puppet in the forest. Well, my niece had this big smile on her face, and she's like, oh, we already got that because of me. Because I beat the dark heart, we have the blanket. I'm like, fantastic. Our job just got a lot easier. We know what to do. Like, the narrative was building off of what we did prior. It was a natural, progressing story. Even though multiple things could happen, we skipped certain sections because we had the blanket. Now, we talked to the locals for a bit, and this big thug then shows up. This big thug guy that's working for the big bad evil. And, of course, this guy's like a bull. He wants the blanket for himself. So, again, basic rules state when an enemy activates, they move to the closest character and attack them. But, again, this page said special rules. Knuckle, the bully, really wants the blanket. So, when he activates, when he attacks, he immediately moves to the person who has the blanket. Like, let's say he has to move four spaces. He'll move four spaces to the person with the blanket. He'll ignore everyone else so he can just get that blanket. Now, we've done combat before. We knew how to handle combat, nothing special. But now we had two things. One, we had a boss, which means he has a health bar, which means it takes more hits to kill him than just one. So we're dealing with that, first off. And two, now we're like, crap, we got to protect the stuffy that's holding the blanket because he's going to try and steal the blanket. One of his attacks is, if I hit you, I steal an item, and then I might run away with it. So we're now, like, she's moving her character back, and I'm, like, setting up this this wall of, like, range attacks. Be like, okay, when he comes through here to chase you, I'm just going to start hitting him with a bunch of ranged weapons to try and take this guy down before he can reach you. So eventually, Big Boss Knuckle does reach Lumpy, who's carrying the blanket. Yet, we took that time to walk around town to go shopping, to, like, explore and talk with the natives. Lumpy ended up having some defensive cards, some good armor. So he was shrugging off all these hits that Knuckle threw at him and never got hit. So he never lost a blanket. Eventually, we took the big guy down. Bada bing, bada boom. We get out of town with the blanket to go talk to this puppet to tell us how to get home. So blanket safely in our possession. We made our way for the doll in the woods. We end up getting chased by a couple dogs. Like, these mechanical dogs are chasing us down. And we're like, look, we really need to get out of here. Like, we need to get home. Even though we beat Knuckle and saved the blanket... We took some hits from the minions because he had some minions with him. So we took a few hits from the minions. So like, okay, we're not exactly the most healthy. And the dogs, when they attack, give us a torn status, which means we can't heal. And we don't have any buttons because we spent them all buying equipment. We don't have any buttons to repair ourselves. So every time we get hit is health we can't gain back. So like, damn, we need to get into this woman's hut and get home. So we end up having three characters kind of distract the dogs and hold them off while the one guy tries to figure out the secret password to get in. Luckily, we figured out the password, and she's like, I will only teach you the spell if you're ready to go home. Like the, the storybook said, if you have the blanket, you're ready to go home. And we're like, goddamn, we still got the blanket we've been holding on to this entire time. Let's get the hell out of Dodge. Just like that, we got home before the girl woke up and completed the first story. And it felt really good. Like, playing through. We had a lot of fun just experiencing everything, how the narrative was built. So, after this kind of breakdown of the game and just giving you a bit of a a tale of our first experience in the game, where does the game stand in my opinion? Well, I said it before. 
I highly, highly recommend checking this game out. It was definitely built with children in mind. Like I said, the various, it's all that stuffed animals going on an adventure and the struggles this girl has while growing up. But the mechanics, like I was talking about how the rules change every now and then based on the story page, dice management, buying equipment, working together, exploring. Anyone can find the game enjoyable if, you know, if, if you're into cooperative games or you've played D&D or anything like that, you'll probably like this game to some degree. So it's a family game. It's labeled as a family game, and it lives up to that. You know, I'm a, I'm a big D&D fan. I love exploring the narrative, interacting with people, and I'm really big in strategy and combat. Like, when I DM, there's not a lot of combat that happens in my game campaigns, but they're usually, like, in-depth combat. There's, like, there's a lot of moving parts, and the players can get very creative with how they tackle the challenges and stuff like that. You know, I had just as much fun playing this game as my niece did, who simply wanted it because it had cute stuffed animals in it, and it was a storybook. You know, that's the number one reason why she liked it. She's like, there was a couple games I was thinking about buying. She's like, no, buy that one. Like, I really like that one. I like all the animals in it and stuff like that. I'm like, okay, why not? And I loved it because of it. I, I loved just the mechanics of it, and she just loved the story. So we both had a good time. So in the description of the episode, you know, on Anchor, I'll have a link that leads to Plaid Hat Games' website. So you can kind of check the game out yourself if you're interested. If it, you're not interested, still check out their other games. They have a lot of games, not just adventure book games. They have a lot of games. And you know, after playing Stuff Fables, I am looking into their other adventure games, and I'm pretty sure all the other games they did make that aren't adventure books are probably just as good. Like, this is a game that shows quality, shows care, and really thinks about a lot in terms of what a game could be. So... Kudos to Plaid Hat Games. And you know, give them some love. Check check out their stuff. See what they got. See what you're interested in. So that'll kind of uh, conclude this this review of Stuff Fables. Again, highly recommend. Definitely check it out. It's like 80 bucks or so. Uh, there's a lot to it. Like, there's a lot of stuff to it. You get the miniatures, which are really nice. You get the storybook. There's a lot goes into it, which I'm like, you know what? It's worth the 80. I'll be real. It, it's worth the 80. So, uh, yeah, next... Uh, Next week forecast, I've been kind of like turning this idea over in my head about uh, emotional games. And I'm not talking like games that you feel triumphant for beating or anything like that, but I'm talking like games that really made you feel something. And I, I've been thinking about the subject for a while. And these are two games that I really haven't talked about in detail that I really want to address. So expect that for next week. And uh, yeah, until then... Enjoy, you know, have fun, enjoy your summer. I'm going to be posting stuff on the Facebook, usually like descriptive stuff and links that I post on Facebook. And I'm trying to be a little more active on Twitter and do some shout outs there to like various game companies. So, you know, check us out on Facebook, Gaming Couch Podcast, and then Twitter at G, uh, G underscore C underscore podcast, because I'm not creative by names. And that is that. So I will... Catch you all next time. Just, you know, just, just, just keep being you, man. Just keep being you.